Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're talking about the COVID pandemic. Our guest, James G. Kahn, is an emeritus professor of health policy at the University of California, San Francisco. He is an expert in evidence-based medicine and medical decision-making, leading researcher in U.S. and global health economics with more than 200 academic publications. He is also the editor and primary blogger at healthjusticemonitor.org and a co-author of a recent study finding that universal health coverage in the U.S. could have saved 338,000 lives just from COVID-19. James G. Kahn, welcome to Talk World Radio. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Uh, So how did you all go about determining uh, that uh, figure of 338,000 lives? Well, uh, that estimate was based on a, a terrific empirical study that uh, some of our colleagues did looking at the differences in COVID rates, including COVID deaths, in areas with lots of uninsured people versus areas with few uninsured people, uh, sort of a geographic analysis. And that revealed that had we had universal coverage at the time of the pandemic, there would have been 26% fewer deaths. This is a really powerful empirical study. And what we did in the uh, article that came out last week is to translate those empirical findings into an estimate of the total number of deaths in the country that were in effect caused by lack of insurance. And that's where the estimate comes for over 330,000 additional deaths due to our failure to have universal health insurance. And, And this is ongoing at the same rate, as far as you know, as the deaths pile up? As far as we know, certainly we haven't solved any of our insurance problems, as you and your listeners well know. Um, And there's no reason to uh, believe that that dynamic has changed at all. Uh, And and so what would have been different? How would the country have looked different? The pandemic happened differently uh, had the United States had universal health coverage like most uh, normal countries? Well, uh, people would have... uh, gone to see the doctor more quickly. They would have um, had some symptoms or some concerns, maybe an exposure to someone with COVID and they would have not faced any financial barriers to getting care. You may remember that the pandemic really took hold early in the year. And uh, that's a a critical time period to uh, identify people who are infected and interrupt transmission. What else happens early early in the year? People still are in the deductible period. So in addition to what I described about lacking insurance, some people with high deductibles might also have delayed care. But the main barrier was when people aren't insured, they don't seek care, they don't get uh, attention uh, to their clinical problems, and they also don't get the message about preventing 
transmission to others. And that's uh, a real failure. This is an example of the huge gaps in our insurance system getting in the way of doing good public health. One uh, really um, uh, indicative contrast is with Taiwan, which has universal coverage, a single payer system started in the early 1990s and also excellent data systems. And so they really uh, knew how to get people into care to get the, use the data for public health control and their pandemic is unrecognizably less severe than ours. Do, do, Jim, do these figures track uh, roughly in most cases with comparisons to other countries that have single payer but are in other ways similar to the United States? Well, there are, of course, many differences across countries aside from the health insurance. As you indicated earlier, all of the other wealthy countries in the world have universal coverage. Sometimes it's with a single government payer. Sometimes it's with a standard uh, health insurance benefit package that everyone has through insurers. But every other country has that universal coverage. But there are lots of differences between countries. If you look at the U.S. versus other countries, we do uh, just about the worst, despite all of those other differences. If you were to take 26% off of our totals, what you would find is that we're more uh, in the middle of the pack, still higher than many countries. Like I said, for example, Taiwan has these extraordinary data systems, which they used, uh, but, but not uh, as high as we are with the insurance problem. Uh, of course, even more valuable than mere human lives is the almighty dollar. Uh, would you have, uh, would having such a system in place have cost money? Everyone imagines that providing decent services to people costs money, uh, or would it actually have saved money? Well, actually, uh, it would have saved a lot of money. There are uh, quite a few studies, uh, some of which we reviewed in an article in PLAS Medicine a while back, that show that with single payer, uh, you save money because you greatly simplify the administrative burden. You save, in the United States, uh, you, you save um, on the order of uh, $400 trillion a year, maybe more, sorry, billion, $400 billion a year, maybe more uh, by getting rid of all of the administrative bloat. And so this article that uh, I participated in estimated the savings and, and uh, they are about 400 to 450 billion uh, in a normal year. On top of that, all of the COVID illness and death that was due to the lack of universal insurance cost a lot. And so we estimated that in total, having had universal coverage would have saved half a trillion dollars. So many lives saved, deaths averted, and lots of money in the bank. In economics, there's an old saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I like to bring that saying out because in the case of health insurance, it's simply not true. There is a free lunch. We can 
cover everyone and save money. That's my definition of a free lunch. I, I think you said $105.6 billion in healthcare costs for COVID hospitalizations. So you're adding that to the usual $400 billion that you save by having. Uh, and so I, I assume the seeing more people, people co- going to their doctors sooner, uh, it ends up being preventive more than reactive. Uh, and so there's a cost for that, but it's a lesser cost. Than, than the cost of, of treating uh, symptoms later, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it, in medicine, it turns out that a lot of prevention doesn't save money because it, it improves health, but it doesn't really save money. But here's an example where getting people in quickly where the initial intervention, maybe a diagnostic test, some advice about not infecting family members, friends, and coworkers, all of that's very inexpensive. And taking care of people in an ICU is profoundly expensive. And so this is one of those cases where uh, we, yes, as you said, would have saved over $100 billion in uh, COVID costs by doing the right thing early by giving people access to primary care. I want to just mention also that the uh, government uh, uh, managed to get the insurance companies to promise, not legally binding, but to promise to pay for all COVID care so that people wouldn't have barriers to care. But guess what? If someone's getting sick, but they don't know about this special insurance company promise, they're not going to say, oh, this, this must be COVID. Uh, and I know my insurance company is going to pay and I don't have any money, but that's okay because my insurance company is going to pay. No, what they know is they're feeling sick and they don't know what it is. Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's something else. And they don't know that they're going to get this extra help. So our sort of patchwork attempt to remedy this problem was a complete failure. The solution is universal coverage. Uh, clearly, uh, we're, we are speaking with James G. Kahn, who is Emeritus Professor of Health Policy at University of California, San Francisco. Uh, you also have a website, Health Justice Monitor, healthjusticemonitor.org. Uh, and there's a headline there not too long ago. During COVID, insurers collected full premiums but paid less for care, forcing government to bail out providers, which suggests it may be even worse than we've talked about thus far. Well, this is a, a tough post to, to, to put up. This is based on some work by David Himmelstein and, and Steffi Woolhandler. Um, the, what happened is that during COVID, a lot of people um, postponed getting elective care. And uh, which makes sense, of course, you don't wanna be exposed to COVID in a dangerous uh, medical setting. So uh, all of us did that. So what this meant was that providers were not billing insurers for this care, which didn't happen. So in a just world, the insurers would have reimbursed their policyholders including the federal government, for care, for a drop in care needs. Um, And they would have said, look, you know, with people not getting care, you overpaid your premiums uh, this year, uh, we're going to reimburse. 
But they didn't do that. They kept, and they had record profits. Private insurers had record profits, and most of their profits were for government-funded care, like Medicare money that went through Medicare Advantage plans, which are private insurance plans. So now the insurers had all of that money, and they kept it, and they made their shareholders happy. At the same time, the providers were in financial extremis because they were losing all this income, and they had doctors and nurses and other people to pay, and they had to try to maintain their financial uh, stability. And the government, uh, in, in, in its wisdom, passed some really important uh, support bills that paid companies, including medical providers, that had suffered a, a big hit to their business. So the government paid the providers for this care that wasn't provided. So. What it means in the end is people didn't get care, the insurers kept the money, and the government paid uh, the providers for the money the insurers didn't give to them. So in the end, the government paid two times to the insurers and to the providers for care that was not received. You know, I'm used to thinking about how extortionate the system is and how private for-profit companies, insurers, pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies, et cetera, uh, make huge amounts of money. But this was just horrifying to think about the fact that it happened twice at the same time. <laughs> the, the, the incredible feat of propaganda in this country is always that the reason not to go to a sensible system that saves lots of money is because it would supposedly cost lots of money. While meanwhile, the government is happy to dish out piles of money, even twice for the same thing, even if that thing never happened to insurance companies. As long as it's going to a private corporation for something destructive or or wasteful, there doesn't seem to be any concern. You know, you told me we only have 28 minutes. (laughs) I don't want to get started on the long list of ways in which the the, it seems that the primary purpose of the of our medical system is to enrich wealthy people, but that is uh, that is the truth, and it it, it it it's in many different ways. But this example is particularly uh, vivid and yeah. terrible. And 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 when we talk about the hundreds of billions of dollars lost to this shortcoming of not having universal coverage uh, in normal times, no, never mind ap- uh, an epidemic. Uh, we're also talking about lives lost, right? This isn't brand new that lives are lost. So uh, the, these 338,000 lives are on top of some number lost to the general failure to have universal coverage, right? Absolutely. Um the estimates are in the range of 70,000 extra deaths per year due to people not having insurance. But you have to add to that an estimate of the people with insurance, but with still with financial barriers to care. And there's, there's ample evidence that all of those huge deductibles that we now have in our insurance plans, as well as other kinds of cost sharing is decreasing access to care. If you look at polls of the percentage of people who either delay or skip care or don't take their medicines because of financial barriers, even among the insured, it's a huge problem. And it's a little bit harder to pin down technically, but we have uh, a study that we did uh, 
uh, on hypertension and this issue, which is uh, under review. And we're uh, estimating that there are many thousands of deaths just for delayed and, den and, and skipped hypertension care. So you're talking about well in excess of 100,000 extra deaths per year. If you compare death rates uh, for uh, uh, people before age 65 uh, with um, uh, when Medicare starts uh, and uh, the same group uh, overseas in other countries with universal insurance, you get an even higher estimate, probably closer to 200,000 added deaths per year. And all of this is reflected in a, um, a lifespan in the United States that is lower than in those other countries, not only for poor people, which is terrible, but even for richer people living in richer neighborhoods, they also have lower life expectancy. So it's just a dismal situation all around. And uh, as we've been saying, there's no economic reason that we should accept this. Uh, we could save money if we covered everyone with a single health insurance plan called single payer. I, I'm sure that one type of death not included in those statistics is suicides. Uh, and you have an article at healthjusticemonitor.org about the damage done by medical debt. Uh, I mean, this, this is something that, that renders people's lives pretty miserable in pretty substantial numbers, right? Yes, the Kaiser Family Foundation did a, a really uh, important and powerful survey, national survey, where they got into a lot of detail about how many uh, adults have medical debt. It's 41%, four in 10. Um, how big that medical debt is, about half of uh, the people have debt over $2,500, and what the consequences are. And, and they list the consequences, and it's just astounding. People are um, giving up, uh, uh, sacrificing daily necessities uh, because of their medical debt. They're postponing uh, uh, big decisions and big actions like buying a house or getting a higher education. Um, and I definitely recommend people uh, check out that post um, uh, on, on Health Justice Monitor. Uh, it, it's just heartrending to hear that not only do people have this medical debt, and many of them don't think it'll ever go away, but, but it's, it's, it's crippling their ability to live a normal, uh, happy uh, uh, life because uh, they just can't handle it. They don't have the savings and uh, they're not prepared for these unexpected, unexpected expenditures. Of course, this hits um, poor people and people of color worse because uh, they have so much less wealth. Anyway, it's, it's, um, it, it, these financial issues and how we pay for healthcare have real consequences for families. It's terrible. It is terrible. Uh, what, what should be done? You mentioned briefly the privatization of Medicare and Medicare Advantage. I'm not sure who it's an advantage to. Uh, is, is Medicare for all the solution anymore now that they've pretty well ruined Medicare? What, what do we need? Yeah, well, I think we need to rebrand. Um, not only is Medicare Advantage, which is private insurers uh, taking government money and providing private insurance plans to now nearly half of Medicare enrollees, but in addition, the traditional Medicare side is being 
basically handed to corporations through something called ACO Reach. If any of your listeners are interested in reading about it, we write about it in Health Justice Monitor, but can read about it elsewhere. But basically, uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, is um, reorganizing how money moves around in the traditional side of Medicare to, again, give corporations an opportunity to make a lot of money. And that means taking money out of the Medicare system. So um, I am not a uh, marketing or advertising expert, so I can't tell you what the right term is. Improved Medicare for all, single payer. All I can tell you as a uh, uh, researcher in health policy, health economics for more than 30 years is that the evidence is the strongest for anything I've ever seen in medicine. And that is that if you look at all the other wealthy countries, they all have certain features which work really well. That is, they all cover everyone with exactly the same insurance. Not some vague promise of insurance, not some will cover you know, your outpatient care but then everything's variable from one plan to the other. No, it's exactly the same and everyone has it. And that simplicity allows the system to accomplish great things while saving money. It's back to, there is a free lunch. And you said, you don't know whose advantage is served by Medicare Advantage. Well, I know, and you know, and it's the shareholders. Yeah. You, you have another very interesting article, uh, James Kahn at, at healthjusticemonitor.org, about the impact on the public understanding of having these endless televised uh, congressional hearings, if that's the word for them, about the January 6th Trump coup attempt. And you'd like to have something of that sort about single payer slash Medicare for all slash whatever we call it. Uh, but of course, they had hearings in Congress uh, years ago on on health coverage and friends of mine were arrested for trying to mention single payer in the room. Uh, and they got labor unions like ask me to drive big buses around the country doing rallies for something they called the public option. And you were banned and exiled if you wrote single payer or Medicare for all on a piece of paper and held it up. Uh, so. Uh, how how do you how do you get such a thing to happen? I'm all for it. Hmm. Well, the good news is that um, uh, the Biden administration, although they are doing some things I don't like in healthcare, a lot of things, they do recognize the importance of the left in getting Biden elected. And um, uh, Bernie Sanders actually convened the first hearings about single payer in many years. Uh, so I think we've gotten uh, past the uh, arrest, the single payer protesters to a recognition that it's a legitimate part of the discussion. I, uh, uh, many of your listeners may know that about 60 to 65 percent of the American uh, voting public uh, likes the idea of single payer. And now we're permitted to talk about it publicly. And I think the, the hearings that uh, Senator Sanders convened were fine. They were good. But what I realized as I listened to the January 6th, the first round of the January 6th hearings is that if you bring thoughtful and professional 
um, planning and really top-notch production values to these hearings, you can make much more of an impact. Um, you can bring the right people to the witness table. You can use video appropriately. And my God, we spend so much money on production value. You can see it every day on Netflix and HBO and every, every streaming service. Why can't we do it for important issues in the Congress. It turns out we can. And my piece of that day in, in Health Justice Monitor was to say, well, if we can do it for January 6th, why can't we do it for healthcare? So I think we've got now, I think the bar has been raised for what's a good public hearing. It's very interesting comment. So, so just getting the networks to actually air Senator Sanders hearings would not be the ideal solution, but but rather something more like a video Hollywood production, because I've seen criticism from the other side go back to the Watergate hearings and they weren't all pre-scripted and manufactured. There was give and take and spontaneity and and unexpected twists and turns. And those were real attention grabbing hearings. You 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 take the opposite approach. Well, back in that day, um, there was this notion that there was some uh, uh, mutual respect, some decorum in those kinds of hearings. Do we really want to unleash Jim Jordan on the world to, uh, to scream and rant uh, um, from my point of view uh, uh, in a crazy and, and, and reality distanced uh, uh, form? Uh, or do we want to acknowledge that the world has changed? And if we want to get our critical democracy saving message out, we need to exert more control of the process than was necessary in the 1970s. I'm not saying you're wrong. I can see pros and cons both ways, and I certainly would love to see it over anything that's on TV today. Um, we're speaking with Jim Kahn. James G. Kahn is Emeritus Professor of Health Policy at UC San Francisco. Uh, what should people be doing to help make such a thing happen, to advance the idea of single-payer Medicare for all? Uh, how can people get engaged? Well, there are quite a few organizations that people can uh, can can work with, um, and um, many of them are local. There are health reform organizations in uh, uh, many states, perhaps all states. I haven't done a survey. Um, I'm a, a member of uh, Physicians for a National Health Program, which is based in Chicago, the national organization. I work closely with PNHP there, and I also work closely with uh, PNHP California. But actually, you've given me an idea for a post uh, in Health Justice Monitor. I thank you for that. And that is, um, what can the readers do if even more than they're already doing? Of course, the Health Justice Monitor readership is uh, already pretty well tuned in but we need to do more. So maybe I'll, I'll write on that in, in coming weeks. And I hope people will check us out. I hope they will. The website is healthjusticemonitor.org. We've been speaking with Jim Kahn, James G. Kahn, his uh, professional name, Emeritus Professor of Health Policy at UC San Francisco and the editor and primary blogger. And we will look forward to uh, sharing around that blog post on what people can do. And we'll have all the links we can find up at Talk 
talkworldradio.org. Jim, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk World Radio. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the conversation. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.